you have your Bible with you, I hope you do. We are going to continue in the book of Mark together. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a blue one in the pew back in front of you. We'd love for you to open that one up with us. Um, God's Word is just so, 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 so important to us. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let's grow our faith together by looking at the Word of God together. Um, if you need a Bible, take that blue one home with you. Please, please, please. Um, in church, I'm happy to report we just ordered a new crate of blue Bibles. So we've been giving those away. Each crate has 24. And so we've been giving those away. That's great. So we love that. If you need a Bible, if you know someone who needs a Bible, maybe that's, your, that's the way you can connect them to Jesus is, is give them that Bible. We'd love to be part of that. So take that blue one home with you. Mark is towards the end of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's in what's known as the New Testament. Second book of the New Testament, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, big number 2. Big number 2. Okay, this sermon is focused on one of my favorite things in the world, eating. Can I get an amen? amen. If you didn't say amen, you're a liar, okay? <laughs> amen, our favorite thing, eating. But then we're going to throw a curveball at us. Eating is one of my favorite things in the world to do, but we're going to talk about fasting, we're going to talk about when people choose not to eat. How crazy is that? The only time I choose not to eat is when the barbecue place closes for the night. You know, that's the time I fast, right? That's, that's in my wheelhouse. We're going to talk about fasting. We're going to talk about why we do the things that we do for Jesus. Why is fasting part of our, our faith? Why is that part of, some, of what we practice? What's the goal of these things? And what we're going to find out is what we know to be true and what we sing together. We're going to find out that everything that we do, everything that we do, is designed to bring us closer to Jesus. What we're going to find out is Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to read together Mark chapter 2, big number 2, Little number 18. Let's read this together, and then we're going to talk about what it means. Mark chapter 2, big number 2, little number 18. Read with me if you will. It goes like this. Now John's disciples, remember John the Baptist? Now John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, to Jesus, why do John's disciples... And the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. 
But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Okay, what's going on there? There's a lot of things that made sense to them when they first read it, and, and, but that might be a little bit harder for us to understand. So let's talk about what is going on there with Jesus and his disciples and the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees. So what is fasting? What is fasting all about? Fasting is the spiritual discipline of withholding food from myself in an effort to heighten my spiritual senses. In another way, fasting is replacing eating with prayer. Fasting is telling my body, my mind, and my spirit that I need God. And I mean business. So, when you would be eating, when you would be taking in something that is necessary for physical life, instead, you are taking in something that is necessary for spiritual life. Prayer. So, the idea is, when you would normally eat, instead, you pray. And when you feel hunger pains, that's a reminder to pray. When you feel these pains, you begin to associate that pain, that hunger, with your hunger for God. I want more God. I want more Jesus. It's an effort to teach us and to train us and to show us that our hunger for food is nothing compared to our hunger for Jesus. In the New Testament, one who is fasting is literally called one who is empty. And so in that way, fasting for believers is declaring that I can be empty of everything else as long as I am filled in my relationship with God. Fasting is saying I, I hunger for more of my God. I hunger for his wisdom. I hunger for his, for his forgiveness. I hunger for more of him. And for New Testament believers, of course, it is I hunger. I want more Jesus. I want more Jesus. And so that's, that's fasting. But as, as, our, as is our custom as church people and religious people, we tend to take these good things, these tools that God has given us to get closer to him. As religious people, we tend to be tempted to take these good things like fasting and abuse them. Fasting, like many other spiritual disciplines, like serving in church or being a pastor or prayer or Bible study, fasting can quickly, for believers, become a status symbol, become a checklist item on our checklist of what it means to be a good Christian. Instead, instead of understanding these things to be a tool used me to bring... To used to bring me closer to God. Instead of 
using it as a tool to bring me closer to God, it becomes a false flag to declare, look how close I am to God, everybody. And that has been a thousand, thousand, thousand year struggle for God's people. Corrupting the good things of God for our pride. That's been a temptation for us for thousands of years. So, commercial break? We need to make sure and ask ourselves these questions. Do we do these spiritual things? Like reading my Bible, like praying, like church attendance, like serving. Do we do these spiritual things to get more of Jesus? Or do we do them from our pride? Do we do them because we think, well, that's what good Christians do, and I want to be a good Christian. Do we do this so we can raise the flag of, look how close I am to God? What's our motivation behind these things? And so that is what we have stumbled upon in Mark chapter 2. We've got the disciples of John. Remember John the Baptist? We met John the Baptist in the first chapter of Mark. We see the people who followed John. That probably means people who have grasped John's great message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. These are men and women who probably were baptized by John. They're following John. They are awaiting the Messiah. And they probably have even understood that, that John declares Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so this is John's disciples and so John's disciples were fasting. Why were they fasting? They were fasting, perhaps, as a way to, to pursue this repentance that John taught. Is that a bad thing? It's a good thing. Repentance is a good thing. That's Jesus' message. Jesus comes and he preaches. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. Repentance is a good thing. That's a good thing. Or perhaps they were fasting because this would have been about the time where John was beheaded. And so we might have stumbled upon a group of disciples in mourning and in sorrow and fasting through that. So we have the disciples of John who are fasting. And then we come across the disciples of the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were expert, expert, expert religious people. And so they had a group of followers who would come and would take their teachings and this group was fasting. The Old Testament law specified there was only one day when fasting for God's people was mandatory. It was a day of atonement where sacrifice is made for all of our sins. So that's, is that a good thing to fast for? Yeah, it's a good thing. But this will tell you a little bit about the Pharisees. This is the Pharisees. So the Pharisees understood that God's law signified that Israel should fast one day. And you could fast on your own, but that was the mandatory thing. And so Pharisees, as good church people, are prone to do what the Pharisees do. This law of God isn't quite enough. So we're going to stack our own laws on top of it. And so the Pharisees said, I know one time a year is what the Bible mandates, but guess what? We're going to be super-duper Christians. We're going to be super-duper people of God. And we're going to fast twice a week. Monday. Thursday. So we got disciples of John, 
fasting for good reasons. You've got the Pharisees and the people following Pharisees. And we are meant to look at them kind of with a cockeyed view and say, twice a week, what's going on there? Why are you doing these things? And then we have the disciples of Jesus who are feasting. They're eating. They're not fasting. And so you have a question that comes up and they say, Jesus, you're a religious leader. Those religious leaders, those religious people are fasting. These religious people are fasting. You and your disciples are not fasting. What is going on, Jesus? Do you, Jesus, not find value in fasting? No, that's not what it is. Do your disciples not pursue a holy life? No, that's not what it is. Jesus teaches repentance and forgiveness of sins. He teaches holiness. Well, maybe your disciples just aren't dedicated enough. No, because Jesus tells them not to fast. There's nothing about their disciples not being dedicated enough. These men just left everything to follow Jesus. If Jesus told them to fast, they would fast. So no, I don't think it's about dedication. Jesus, are your disciples not hoping, like John's disciples, for redemption and for the Messiah? Are they just not hoping for that enough? No, that's silly, because Jesus is the Messiah, and he's bringing redemption. No, that's not why they don't fast. Maybe your disciples just think they don't need more of God. No, that's not what it is. What is the reason? And Jesus, as a good religious leader of the time does, he doesn't directly answer the question. What does he do? He asks them a question. He says, you're asking me about fasting, why my disciples don't fast. Do you fast during a wedding when you're with the bridegroom? We get that. We understand where that's coming from. If you were at your wedding and you had a whole table of people who said, nope, not having any cake, not having any food, we're going to huddle around here, and we're going to fast, and we're miserable, and we're praying, we're praying for forgiveness, and we're fasting. What would that do to your wedding? That'd be lame. Don't fast during a wedding. A wedding is meant to eat and celebrate. Eat that cake, right? And if you're as good as me, I'm eating two pieces of cake. That's how good I am at your weddings. That's what we do. And if that's what we do, weddings 2,000 years ago were even crazier parties. You don't just go to a wedding and a reception. You go for a wedding celebration for seven days. And you eat and you're merry and you're happy and the wine is flowing and it's good food and you party and party and party. And so the idea that somebody would fast during this week-long wedding celebration wasn't just a faux pas, wasn't just a party foul, wasn't just any of this stuff. It was disgraceful. I'll get you kicked out of the wedding. And Jewish people knew this, so you're not going to go and fast at a wedding. It's just ridiculous. So Jesus said, my, yeah, my guys don't fast. Why would they fast? We don't fast when you're at a wedding sitting next to the bridegroom. He says, there will be a time, though, when they will, my disciples will fast again. And at the time when the disciples are hearing this, they're probably thinking, I wonder when that is. We have the luxury of hindsight where we can look at this. We, we, can, we know when they started fasting again. 
when the bridegroom wasn't with them. When Jesus died, when he was buried, when he rose physically from the dead, and then when he returned to the Father. When Jesus is not there, when, the we- when you're not with the bridegroom, you'll fast again. So there will be a time when they don't fast, when the bridegroom is not there, Jesus says. But that time is not now. Because the goal of fasting, the goal of prayer, the goal of a discipleship, the goal of holiness is standing in their presence already. The goal of their fasting is to get more of God and God is standing before them. Bridegroom is there. The goal of every religious action they could ever perform was standing with them face to face. They have reached the prize. They are in the presence of Jesus. And our job in the presence of Jesus is not to fast. Our job in the presence of Jesus is to bask in His glory. The bridegroom is there. Jesus says, for them to fast while I'm here is so awkward and silly. It's as awkward as, and silly, Jesus says, as taking a new nice piece of cloth and sewing it onto an old stinky shirt. Don't do that. What do you do if you do that? Well, Those old stinky clothes were washed and washed and washed and they had shrunk. And if you take a nice, new, beautiful piece of cloth and you you sew it on there, what's going to happen next time you wash? It's going to shrink. It's going to come apart. Jesus, you don't act like old school ways when I'm in town. When I'm in town, it's new. It's as silly and awkward, Jesus says, as taking your wineskins that are empty, your old wineskins, and filling it with new wine. When you take new wineskins with new wine, you put it in there, the wine ferments, and the wineskins expand. And then you drink it, and you pour it, and then all the wine comes out. And then if you take that old wineskin that's already expanded, you put new wine in, you fill it up, what's going to happen? That new wine's going to ferment, it's going to expand even more, and what's going to happen? Poof! going to rip apart. The wine's going to be everywhere. Jesus says to fast when I'm in your presence is an awkward and silly thing. So I think the connection to fasting and spiritual disciplines, I think the connection here I think is really beautiful and I think we can say that the big idea is this. We fast when we are far from Jesus. We fast when we are not in the presence of Jesus. But we feast when he is near. Are you with me? We fast when we're far from Jesus, and we feast when he is near. And I think this has three implications. I think the first thing we need to understand about this is that our souls are made for Jesus like our stomachs are made for food. Our souls are made for Jesus like our stomachs are made for food. When we fast, 
We physically feel the hunger that our souls feel for the one who calls himself the bread of life. You remember this, the book of John? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So fasting is taking the physical feeling of hunger and applying it to our spiritual need for Jesus, our spiritual hunger for the true bread of life. Bread of life. In other words, Jesus alone fills our empty souls like the bread fills our stomach. Are you with me? Jesus fills our souls like bread fills our stomachs. We are all outside of Jesus spiritually starving. And Jesus is our bread. It's true of all of us. You might not think it's true of you, but it is true of you. And this is true in every area of our life. We hunger for someone to know us fully and love us unconditionally, and we will only be satisfied in Jesus. I don't know. My husband loves me a lot. I don't know. My wife loves me a lot. My friends, we are not meant to hope in our spouses. My friends, your spouse will let you down. I have let my wife down. If she's hoping in me to fulfill this need for her un- for unconditional love and a perfect relationship, she's going to go hungry forever. I cannot provide that. We hunger and are satisfied only in Jesus. We hunger for meaning and purpose and we will only be satisfied in Jesus we hunger for security and to be safe and we will only be satisfied in Jesus we hunger for righteousness and we will only be satisfied in Jesus we hunger who else in here hungers for your burdens to be removed I do we'll only be satisfied in Jesus we hunger for comfort and we will only be satisfied in In Jesus, our souls are made for Jesus like our stomachs are made for food. Our souls are only made for Jesus. Jesus is the only one who will satisfy our hunger. To put anyone or anything else in our souls is like putting poison in our stomach. To try to fill our hungry souls with anything else or anyone else is to eat poison. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through him. No one. There's no other food for our soul other than Jesus. Not Joseph Smith, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not atheism, not materialism. All of that is poison. We try to fill our souls with love of country or love of political parties. That is poison for our souls. That will not satisfy. We try to fill our souls with husbands or wives. That is not going to satisfy. We try to fill our souls with children. I'll have children. That'll be my purpose in life. Children leave. Children are not 
going to satisfy. We try to fill our souls with self-righteousness and pride. I'll just be a good enough person. And if I'm a good enough person, then surely something will work out for me and I'll start, uh, my burdens will be lifted. That will not satisfy. Our souls are made for Jesus and Jesus alone. And Jesus Jesus, fit, Jesus, our souls are made for Jesus like our stomach is made for food. Our souls are only made for Jesus. He is the only food. And Jesus is our meal. Jesus is not extra. He says he's the bread of life. When I think about bread, I think about a meal. What do you think about? I think about the chips I get at a Mexican restaurant, right? Those tempting chips that I fill up on and I get in trouble. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Or you go to another restaurant, and what do they sit at your table? Bread. Bread is extra at restaurants. For us, bread is extra. You might put it around meat, right? Bread is just around the meat. The meat's the main part. We get bread at our table, but the meal is really coming, so you can pick and choose what bread you want. Do we see Jesus like that kind of bread? Do we see Jesus like, I've got my meal, I've got my life all set up right here, and then Jesus comes and he can be the extra part of it. And I can take it and nibble on it if I need it, and when, when, my, life, when my life really gets to me, then I'll nibble on some Jesus, but other than that, he's over there, and maybe the chips before. That's not what they meant by bread of life. That's not how they saw bread. 2,000 years ago, Bread was it. Bread was all you get. If you are going to live, it's going to be because you have bread. As Jesus preaches, I am the bread of life, those people got it because those people lived meal to meal. I hope I can find bread for my family tomorrow. And if you get meat, that's the extra part. Bread is the essential ingredient to my life. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus is not the extra. Jesus is not when I get my meal of my life is all set up right here and then I can add Jesus to it and really take off. No, Jesus isn't added. Jesus is the meal. He's it. And so when Jesus is here, when he is standing before them, they don't need to fast because the bread of life is in their presence. They were fully and totally and physically and spiritually satisfied because Jesus was there. And when he's gone, we hunger for him. When we're not in his physical presence, we will hunger for him. So why fast? Why fast? Why do any of these spiritual disciplines? Why pray? Why come to church? Why, get, why serve at church? Why get plugged into a small group? Why do we do these things? Why fasting? Spiritual disciplines, like fasting, helps us feast on Jesus before we feast with Jesus. Are you with me? Spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and coming to church lets us feed on Jesus before we can feast with Jesus. 
spiritual disciplines, fasting and prayer and studying God's word and gathering together for worship and sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's word and fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in Christ and serving Christ to make more faithful followers through the church. These are all good things, but they are appetizers. They're not ends in themselves. They are not the meal. They are designed to keep us until the meal arrives. These help us eat of the things of Jesus until we eat with Jesus in His presence. They keep us going. They keep us healthy. They keep us moving towards the real meal. Moving towards the bread of life. You know the feeling. Believer, you know the feeling. How do you feel when you haven't been to church for a while? How do you feel when you haven't prayed for a while? You know that feeling? It's a little bit like hunger, isn't it? This is for me. When my spiritual disciplines get all out of whack and I'm not in the Word and I'm not praying, there's something just doesn't. It feels like I'm hungry. I'm not getting nourished. You know that feeling. Spiritual disciplines helps us feast on Jesus before we feast with Jesus. My friends, spiritual disciplines are hard. Spiritual disciplines, not spiritual naps, right? Boy, I'd be good at that. I'd be the best Christian you knew if it was called spiritual naps. It's called spiritual disciplines. Eating healthy is hard. Working out is hard. Disciplining your kids is hard. Disciplining your husband is... Okay, we'll move on. These keep us sustained. These appetizers keep us sustained until we find ourselves in the very presence of Jesus. In fact, these are spiritual disciplines. In fact, just like food, sometimes the hardest spiritual disciplines to do in our lives are going to be the healthiest for us. Eating broccoli, right? Unless my mom lied to me, I'm supposed to eat broccoli. I don't know what will happen. I'll fall over dead tomorrow if I don't eat my broccoli or whatever. It happens. Something bad is going to happen. But eating broccoli is hard, but eating broccoli is good for you. Just like that, sometimes spiritual disciplines are going to be hard. But the hardest ones are probably the ones that are more Beneficial for our health. I read this the other day. I can't remember who said it, but I read this the other day. I think it really applies here. Just as you don't remember every meal you've e- ever eaten, you will not remember every sermon that you've heard, but they've kept you alive. Same thing. So the Christian life without spiritual disciplines is, malnour- is a malnourished life. Is prayer and Bible study and fasting are modes to keep us moving towards the real meal. Keep us healthy until we get in the presence of our God and King Jesus. So the Bible compels us and commands us to, to sustain ourselves in these spiritual disciplines until we arrive at Jesus' full presence. So it commands us to pray without ceasing. It commands us, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
The 59 one, one another commands in the New Testament. Love one another. Encourage one another. Gather with one another. Those are spiritual disciplines designed to keep us until we see Jesus face to face. Submit to one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Go into all the world and preach the good news. Timothy, my brother, preach the word in season and out of season. Meditate on the word. All of these things are appetites. They're not the main thing. They're the, appetites that, uh, the appetizers that push us towards feasting with Jesus. But as we saw, spiritual disciplines are easily corrupted. So we must ask ourselves, when we act in these spiritual disciplines, are we acting to get more of Jesus? When we perform these spiritual disciplines, are we performing them to feed on Jesus before we feast with Jesus? If not, if our motives are off, this might happen. If our motives are off, you want to ask yourself, why do I pray? Why do I get up and read my Bible? Why do I do these things? If we don't, if we don't do them to feed on Jesus before we feast on Jesus, these things might happen. We might want people to know we are doing them. We might find ourselves bragging about the spiritual disciplines that we're performing in our lives. If we have motives are off. We might want recognition for the things that we are doing. We might want recognition for serving. Something might be off when we miss these, these appetizers. Something might be off when we miss these things and we don't feel a hunger for Jesus. We might, something might be off. Our motivations might be off. On the flip side of that, if we miss one of these appetizers, if we are inundated with guilt, I can't believe I missed my Bible study this morning. Oh, God must be mad at me. If we are inundated with guilt, we're pursuing these things for the wrong reasons. when we complain about the other person's performances. Well, they didn't even, they told me they didn't even read their Bible this week. Spiritual disciplines keep us spiritually alive until we get face to face with Jesus. Spiritual disciplines are the appetizers until our meal arrives and Jesus is in our very presence. Spiritual disciplines will sometimes taste like broccoli. They sometimes taste like barbecue. You know I was going to say that? Sometimes they'll taste like barbecue. When they taste like broccoli, just like broccoli, they're still keeping you alive. So let us develop a taste for broccoli. And finally, finally, best news of all for believers. There will come a day when our fasting gives way to feasting. Won't that be a beautiful day? There will be a day, believer, when our fasting will give way to our feasting. Think about this. Feasting is a, has a significant uh, lineage in the Bible. 
Think about it. What does the Bible start with? The Bible starts with a broken feast in the book of Genesis. God tells Adam and Eve, I have given you all the garden. He said, look at this feast. Eat of any tree in the garden but one. What a feast. But Adam and Eve, in the presence of this feast, this God-given feast, Adam and Eve instead pursued a counterfeit feast. And we have been starving ever since. That's how the Word of God starts. Our feast is broken. We're starving. But do you know how the Word of God ends? The Word of God ends with a feast. Book of Revelation. As John the Apostle sees the end times as a vision and writes him. John, knowing where the book started in the garden of a broken feast, John sees the end for believers and he sees the end culminating with the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and loud Peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And His bride, His bride has been made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. One day, brothers and sisters, our fasting will give way to feasting. You are invited to sit with the bridegroom at the wedding of the Lamb. It's even Better than that. You're not just an invited guest. Who are you in this ceremony? You're the bride. You're the bride. You're the bride. If you're here today and you're not going to be there, you're here today and you're starving and you have not found the bread of life, we compel you and beg you to repent of your sins, be forgiven, and join us for the feast. Prophet Isaiah tells us how awesome this feast is going to be. He says, on the mountain of the Lord Almighty, He will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats. He, he would say barbecue there, but that wasn't invented yet. Best of 
with meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, get this, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all our faces, and he will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. That is the feast that we are looking forward to as believers. A feast in which God the Father and the Son consume death for His people. Death will be no more. At the feast, all of our fears, all of our sorrows, all of our tears will be wiped away. Be wiped away. And get this, how, how glorious is this? He will do away with all my disgrace. you have disgrace? I do. No one will join the feast with any disgrace. No one will join the feast with any thought of death. No one will join the feast with any more sin. No one will join the feast with any tears. Why no tears? Well, what we hear in Mark? At the wedding feast, no one's going to be crying. We're going to celebrate the Lamb, forever. Let's pray. Father God, I'm grateful that you have allowed me to be part of the wedding. Grateful that you've let me be the bride. Not because I have done anything. Not because I am a good person not because I am worthy of love, but because you are loving and you are merciful and you shower us with grace upon grace upon grace. Father, there are people here today who are not part of the wedding. I don't know who they are, but they're not part. Father, I pray that you do a work in their heart. Father, would you show them that Jesus is the bread of life. He is all satisfying. Will you show them that everything that they are searching for and seeking out to try to fill that void in their soul, all these things will let them down, that the only one who fits our soul is Jesus. And Father, I pray that they will repent and believe and take their place in the feast. And Father, for us believers, as we wait on the feast, Father, may we continue May we continue to live out our faith in these spiritual disciplines. May we pursue more of Christ in these spiritual disciplines. May we not beat ourselves up when we fall short, but Father, may we pick ourselves back up and pursue Jesus more and more and more. May we be a church that is known for prayer. May we be a church that is known for service. May we be a church that is known for love for one another. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to enter a time of decision. I'd like us to think about two things during this time. Believers, believers, ask yourself, are you letting Jesus satisfy your every need? Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. And you're using other things to try to satisfy. You're using other things to try to make yourself right with God. Our call for you today to repent. It's Jesus' message. We've been hearing it all through Mark. Repent and believe. We are all sinners. 
We must turn from, we need to turn from our sin and turn to Christ. And what we will find is that He has a banquet, a feast waiting for us. You will not find condemnation. You will not find rejection. You will find love. You will find a feast. You will find every tear wiped away. So, my friends, we call you. Join us. Repent. Believe. Enjoying the feast.